The title for our series that we're in, and this is part three, is Standing Firm, and the subtitle is Living a Victorious Life. But what does that mean, really? What does it mean to live a victorious life? Does that mean we achieve our goals in life? That we have a certain house, certain families, certain cars, all of those things? Is that what we mean when we say living a victorious life? Is that why Jesus came? I think that's kind of the question we'd have to ask ourselves. So living the victorious life, it means this. It means that it is found, grounded, the foundation is Jesus. He is our rock, he is our redeemer, he is our savior, he is our all in all. You can't have a victorious life in life without Christ Jesus. It also means that it is a life of faith, a life in Christ, a victorious life in Christ is always one of faith, day by day by day by day, surrendering each moment, each hour, each month, each year in our lives. It is trusting Him fully. A victorious life in Christ is one of the gospel message. Because you can't have a victorious life unless you know the gospel message, which says that Jesus is our Savior and that we are sinners in need of a Savior and is only in Him and Him alone by His grace we are saved. That's a victorious life in Christ. And a victorious life in Christ also is one of endurance and perseverance. It is running the race, as Paul called it, finishing well to the very end. If you take a look through Scripture, it is always one of endurance, perseverance, of faith in Christ Jesus. In Revelation, you find this quite a bit. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, it says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Thus today, we are continuing on with what it means to stand firm and live a victorious life. As always, we have sermon notes uh, for visitors. There are sermon notes in the bulletins if you'd like to use them as, uh, to follow along. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, Take up therefore the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then verse 16, In all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Therefore, today we are going to talk about the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. By the way, for those who are curious about the graphic, why do I have that particular graphic? Because they're actually coins that have the armor of God on it. So I carry this with me to remind me to have the shield of faith, to wear this helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, 
to get dressed in the morning, that I am in Christ, not apart from him, trying to do things. And by the way, I ordered some. They're not here yet. Hopefully, by the end of next week or the end of our series, there'll be a few here for those who might like some. So let's go ahead and talk about and explore what it means to have a shield of faith. In all circumstances, all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So the shield of faith, as you see, is not the round shield that sometimes you think that the Romans might have. It is a tall, big shield. It was about two feet wide and four feet tall. So in essence, it would cover, could cover almost the entire body. You never went into battle without that particular shield. Because one of the main weapons against the Romans and one of the main weapons of war at that time was an arrow. But not only just an arrow, it would be an arrow that was dipped in pitch or tar and then set on fire. So if you were there facing those particular flaming arrows, you would want to make sure that you could protect yourself from that. You could protect yourself from the flaming darts. Now, does the devil use flaming darts on us? And the answer is yes. The devil uses all sorts of deceptions and temptations to wound us, to cast us into doubt and fear. He will look for your most, the, the link in your armor that is the weakest. He will look for where you are not protected. And most of the time, the devil will go against God's word or the belt of truth. And that is where the devil will often put the flaming darts. What happened to Eve when she was in the garden? What did the devil say? Did God really say? He didn't really mean it, did he? You can have whatever you want, right? As a matter of fact, that'll be good for you. Now, how should Eve have dealt with the devil? She should have dealt with the devil just as Jesus did when he was tempted in the desert. She should have said something like, Oh, yes, God certainly did say. Now, listen, you and I, if we are a stand for Christ, if we are standing firm in his word in the gospel, you will get darts thrown at you all the time. There will people who will say, you really don't believe in the virgin birth, do you? There's a church in town that teaches the virgin birth didn't happen. You don't believe that Jesus really had to die for our sins, do you? Look, when I was at my last church, we had community worship and we rotated on Good Friday. And it happened at one particular church. The pastor actually preached on Good Friday, Jesus did not have to die for our sins. On Good Friday, that's what he preached. The only thing good about that sermon was it was really short. 
was about seven minutes, and that was about it. That was the only thing that was good about it. See, here's the thing. When the darts come against you, and they will, when those flaming arrows come against you, you don't want to just say, well, I disagree, or, well, that's your opinion. I have a different opinion than that. You don't want to do that, because that's actually not standing firm. What you want to be able to do is hold up the object of your faith, which is Jesus and his word. Look, you got a shield, right? You hold up the shield of Christ, not your opinions. You hold up the shield of Christ, of Jesus, and his word. Martin Luther was often very graphic in his descriptions about the activities of the devil. One time he was asked how he overcame the devil. He says, well, when the devil comes knocking at my heart and asks, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus answers the door and says, I do. And then the devil, seeing the hands and the feet and the pierced side, flees in terror. So we don't want to just argue with our opinions about stuff. We want to hold up the object of our faith, which is Christ Jesus And we also want to be able to hold up the object of our faith, which is his word. So you don't want to just say, well, that's just how I feel. Look, that's not holding up the shield of faith. You want to be able to point to a particular scriptural passage and not just say, well, here, but to say, here, I believe God's word. That's the shield of faith. That's with which you extinguish all the flaming darts of the devil. This is also kind of why I like that graphic. I just happened to find that one, and I thought this was a perfect example of our life in Christ. We are there, you know, the guy, what is he doing? He's against a wall reading, and you've got all of these arrows coming at him. But what does he have? He has Christ and his word. His shield is always up. Here's what I think you should have on your shield. You should have a cross. And emblazoned on that shield, you should say, have it say, it is written. That's what Jesus did with the devil. He was at his weakest point, 40 days, 40 nights in the desert. He was tired. Physically, he was at his very weakest point. And the devil tempted him many, many different ways, right? But each time he said, it is written. It is written. God's word stands. It is written once and for all. That's a shield of faith. Do you have that shield of faith? Do you hold that up for you to be able to stand firm in this culture, in this day and age? That's our first line of defense. Now, the second line of defense is the helmet of salvation. How many of you growing up wore a helmet when you were riding your bike? None of us, right? Unless you're under a certain age limit. All of us grew up without wearing a helmet. That's what we did. And yeah, we might have got bonked or hurt. And well, so when our daughter was born, and then she started to ride a bike. That was the time, you know, helmets. Okay, so we got her helmet, and, and I got a helmet, and Heidi had a helmet, and 
We had to wear our helmets. You can see I was a little reticent about it. Well, let me tell you, we have a, a Yorkie Poo named Scooter. Scooter's like uh, 14 now, but about 10 years ago when she was still young, I would take her out for walks. And she was, you know, little dogs can run fast. Did you know that? They can like zip. And so um, to give her some exercise, I thought, well, I'll ride my bike and she can ride along. And I thought, it's just me and the dog. Do I need a helmet? I went, okay, so I put it on, right? Well, this, we'd, we'd only been out one other time before. This was the second time out. And I had the leash in my left hand and she was riding on the left hand side. And we were uh, in a park and the, the gradient was like, eh, like that, like it would barely roll down. And so I, I had stopped, I was starting again and I just was going. And uh, Scooter decided to run right in front of the bike. I had two options, run her over or break. I chose to break. Now, if you know biking at all, I broke. The, uh, the brake was on the right-hand side, and guess what wheel that was? That's the front wheel. Yeah, I know better now. So I, in slow motion, I mean, it probably, I probably just went boom, but it happened so fast, and I hit my head really hard. And my first thought, I kid you not, was, I'm glad I had a helmet on because otherwise I would have had a concussion. As it was, I fractured my hand, right? right? So, all for the sake of our dog. <laughs> the thing is, a helmet, right? The Roman soldiers wore a helmet, and it covered almost their entire face, basically their eyes, their nose, their mouth. That was all that was there. They did not go out into battle without wearing a helmet. If they did go into the battle without a helmet, the chances are they would die or certainly be wounded, greatly wounded. So a helmet of salvation, what does that mean? Well, Paul is actually referencing, I think, Isaiah fifty-nine seventeen, And this is talking about God. God put on put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So in Isaiah, it's talking about what God put on. When, however, we get to Ephesians, it is what we receive from God that we put on. And this is the distinction. Just as a Roman soldier didn't make his own helmet, but he received it from his commander, so we do not make our own helmet of salvation, but we receive it from our Savior. And this is the distinction we want to make sure we have here. Because when you take a look at the language, the language in the original would read like this, the helmet of salvation, receive. The helmet of salvation, receive. Now, there's two aspects to this word receive. First of all, it's a command, but it's in the plural. So it would mean you receive. In, in the south, in the deep south, I believe it would be all y'all. Anybody from Texas around there? 
It'd be all y'all put on the helmet of salvation, which means the whole entire congregation. None of you are left out of this command. Me, you, everyone sitting here, put on that helmet of salvation. And the second aspect of this command, it has an urgency to it. It says, don't delay. Don't delay. Don't wait until you're on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday and go, oh yeah, I forgot. I was supposed to get dressed in the helmet of salvation. No, today, put on the helmet of salvation. So when we take a look at the helmet of salvation and we put it on, there are three things. We receive what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. Well, so what has God done in Christ Jesus? We are justified. We are forgiven. His righteousness is imputed, declared to us. So in the moment of receiving him as Lord and Savior, that's what God has done. So what is God doing? That's your sanctification. Be holy as he is holy. You are then to walk in Christ. And we've talked about that in the very beginning of this series. We are then to walk in Christ Jesus. Through him, through this helmet of salvation and our sanctification. And also we receive what he will do, which is the promise of eternal life with him. This is all one helmet. What God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. That's how you're supposed to get dressed. One commentator, R.K. Hughes, said this, the helmet of salvation is assurance. The helmet assures us that whatever happens, we will be saved and experience victory in Christ Jesus. The helmet infuses us with the courage. What does it say? When we have, we have it as our mission statement, it's right over there. The very top picture over there says, grow bold, Right? Grow bold because what? I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the helmet of salvation for you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. See, it says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's from Philippians chapter one. So it gives us this hope, right? Now, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, we've also been singing victory in Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. What Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, what Jesus will do. He is our victor. All right, before we get to our last piece of armor in getting dressed this morning, I want you to notice that all the other pieces of armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shoes for the gospel of peace, have been defensive in nature, allowing us to withstand the attacks. But here, here we have something that helps us fight the enemy. It is for offense, if you will. It is the sword of the Spirit. 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the Roman sword, short sword, not very long, but deadly. It was double-edged, so it could cut both ways. Paul references that. That particular sword, he says, it is the word of, it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And the word of God is the ultimate weapon against the devil, all lies, deception, temptation. The word of God given to us through the Holy Spirit is the ultimate weapon against all of the evil ways. And this word of God cuts both ways. It can both bring death and life. Well, how does it do that? Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirits of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked, exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In Revelation chapter 1, it talks about Jesus. In his right hand, he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. His word can bring death, which is death to sin, and against all unrighteousness. But his word also brings us new life, doesn't it? In Christ, we are a new creation. That's also why we sang the song, Wonderful Words of Life. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me hear of their beauty, see wonderful words of life, words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words Wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Now, how do you put on this sword? How do you know you have it? Well, some people will say, I own a Bible. How many people brought their Bible today? Couple. See, I'm encouraging you to bring your Bible Because I told you from the very beginning, you should not trust me. You should trust first the word of God, and you should only trust me insofar as I adhere to the word of God. And how do you know unless you know God's word? How do you know unless you know God's word? People say, well, I got a Bible. Well, good. Is it balancing your desk underneath? How many Bibles do you have in America? I mean, like we are, we have so many Bibles at home often that often just collect dust. Just having a Bible that collects dust isn't going to help you in the battle. John MacArthur said this, Having the sword of the Spirit is not owning a Bible, but knowing the specific principles in the Bible that apply to the specific point of temptation. He goes on to say, the only way Christians will know victory 
in the Christian life is for them to know the principles of God's word so they can apply them to specific points where Satan attacks, where the flesh attacks, where the world attacks. And by the way, a lot of your uh, attacks might even come from within the church, not necessarily outside the church. He goes on to say, as Christians fill themselves up with God's word, with the word of God, it then becomes the source of victory. We can't live the Christian life without studying the Bible. It's the source of truth. It's the source of joy. It's the source of victory. God's word reveals the mind of God. People want to know what's God's will in your life? Well, read the Bible. You will find his will for your life there. And his will for your life isn't about the job. It is about the call to Christ Jesus. So, I mean, what would happen? This is, an, this is a side note from the sermon. What would it happen if I didn't print Scripture in the bulletins? Would you rebel at that? Or would it force you to actually bring your own Bible and check out and dive deeper into the Word of God? It's something to consider here. So, what do we have this today? What's the first piece of armor we had? This is a quiz. What's the first piece of armor? Shield of what? Shield of faith, right? And we hold up not our faith, but Christ and his word. What's the next one? We got to do head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? (laughs) Helmet of salvation, which declares what? What Jesus has done, which is your salvation. What he is doing, which is your sanctification, which the promise also of eternal life. And then what, what do we have? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, here's the thing, and I talked about this in the very first one. Are you willing to take these up? Are you willing to put them on? Or is it just like, eh, well, that was a nice sermon. Guess we're done. Let's go to lunch. See, there are people out there who need to hear the word of God, who need the word of life. And it's our job to be able to go and tell and share. And to do that, you've got to learn how to get dressed. Are you willing to learn how to get dressed? That's the question here for you. So what actions will you take today and this week in taking up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit? That's the question for you today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have told us how to be equipped to be able to stand firm and live a victorious life in you. Move us, compel us by the Holy Spirit to take up the armor, following you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. God's peace and joy in Christ Jesus be with you.